Hello and welcome to the Pactum. I'm Mike Grimes here with Pat Abendroff. Across, across the, the street? Table. No, across the table. Across the table. No, across Indeed the we are. We're here for another episode of the Pactum, and today is a Pactum Responsum episode. And Responding for any of our, to listener questions. Right. For any of our newer listeners to the Pactumverse, Pactum Responsum is people sending in their questions, and we're going to drop some knowledge. That's right. And as right. always, we say, you know what? If you Push pause. Stop and see if you can answer the question. Maybe yeah. better than we can. It might be a good idea. But before we get into the questions today, Mike, I do have in front of me as a follow-up to the Sola series that we oh, yeah. just wrapped up. Is it a sixth I, Sola? It's not a sixth Sola, but if I open up this little cute little red box with white print, <laughs> what do I have inside but a Chick-fil-A Sola Chica? <laughs> what? A single chicken, not, it's what is it, a nugget? I, yeah, they single, call them nuggets, right? Okay, I, I don't know what they call them, but anyway. Chick-fil-A nugget. Yeah. Yep, there it is. A single one. It looks oh so lonely, <laughs> but I think it's John Calvin approved because it's a sola. Sola chica. chica. <laughs> so sp- special special uh, hat special hat tip to friend of the podcast, Jay Reese Bradley, oh, that's because good. she sent us a message talking about this sola chica. And uh, honestly, uh, Jay Reese Bradley, I didn't believe you. So I, and she is, Wait, you ordered it. You said, I, I want a Sola Chica. I didn't say it that way, okay. but literally today I went to the Chick-fil-A down the street before we recorded and I got my normal, you know, 12 count grilled nuggets, uh, and a soda. And I said, is it possible to order just one chicken nugget? And the lady said, yes, it is. No. And so I ordered it. So there, there you have it. How? You know what? She has been vindicated. That's yes. So you have been vindicated. J. Reese Bradley, uh, children's author, extraordinary extraordinaire i should say okay and uh, here this it is. is fascinating to me because okay who who could only eat one of those for <laughs> for starters and for two i'm the guy i don't know if it's like this for anybody else maybe it's just me maybe it's because i have a little bit of a weight problem i don't know <laughs> but when i eat chick-fil-a it's like i finish eating and all i want to do is order an entire other Swath of food. I'm, I'm with you. Once, you. once it starts, it's hard hard to do it. Maybe that's the key. You can just order one. Okay. And, uh, because I was going to wonder how in the world you stopped and didn't eat that one, but that's because it was a sola chica. That's right. That's and how. The lady said, now, so you want me to cancel the grilled ones and you only oh, no. want one? I'm, I said, <laughs> oh, no, this is just for the pactum. <laughs> <laughs> is what this you is. You give her a sticker at the handout. Here oh, we go. I should have. You should have. I should have. So I did <laughs> notice when I was at Chick-fil-A today, I, uh, my kids like Chick-fil-A probably more than I do, but I'm, I'm not a hater. I'm just not a, you know, crawl over broken glass guy. I love Chick-fil-A. Mm. <laughs> okay. But the, the first I said, uh, thank you. And th- she said, you're welcome. She didn't say my pleasure. They didn't say my pleasure. The second person Heresy. said my pleasure. So I heard it's a thing. Maybe they're changing. It is my pleasure. My pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah, it's a big deal. The Lord's chicken. All right. So we're here on the Pactum. Going to do some Pactum response and questions. We've got a hand. Sponsored by Chick-fil-A Sponsored today. by Chick-fil-A. What if we were sponsored? Anyway. Okay. And we've got a handful of questions. We're going to work through these and uh, see if we can encourage and edify. As Mike doesn't know how to count. Handful questions. might be more than five, but handful that's okay. Handful might be more than five. Handful means Mike didn't count before we got started. It's true. Here we go. Okay. First question on the docket. This is from Erica. Uh, Erica asks, I wonder if you could recommend some resources that explain the effects of the Enlightenment Ooh, on the I church like, like and modern theology. I like it already. So, or perhaps, Erica suggests, 
consider doing an entire episode on the topic of the Enlightenment and the effects on modern theology. I'm going to squirrel that idea away. That's a great idea for a podcast we, we episode, need, We need to it? do a whole episode on that for sure. Yeah. This is a great one to think about because when it comes to hermeneutics, when it comes to interpreting the Bible and preaching the Bible, the effects of the Enlightenment are actually significant. So first of all, let's acknowledge we are... We're fans of the Enlightenment right. in a yeah. certain sense sure. because yeah. uh, think in terms of you know the religious oppression and the church is saying things are in the Bible that aren't in the Bible and there's a lot of uh, what's the word for it I'm, when I never can remember this word when it's not a fable it's something made up superstition ah superstition yeah. yeah yeah so a lot of things that were superstitious were promoted in the name of God in the name of Christianity and so the Enlightenment shed some light on that yeah. whole thing, uh, which is positive. So you got rid of some church abuses, if you will. If you will. But on the other side of things, it's the over-pendulum swing, right. and now we've got naturalism. Uh, so we're going to deny things like God's sovereignty. Even if we have a God, he's not sovereign. Uh, and certainly, if we have a Bible, it's not God's inerrant, inspired word, God-breathed. And so some of those things are going to end up being... Um, brushed away, gotten rid of. And certainly if there is a God and if the Bible is God's word, well, we're going to really emphasize the human authorship. Yeah. And so certainly yeah. he doesn't have a decree. So when I think of enlightenment, post-enlightenment uh, hermeneutics, I think, okay, God is not totally sovereign, doesn't have one unique decree that's going to guide all of human history. And the Bible is, uh, well, mainly, mainly written by human authors, not one divine author controlling the whole. Hmm. Is that simple enough? Yes, I think so. Yeah, so I think that's really helpful to keep those things in mind. So what you end up having, uh, even in evangelical circles where they say, we believe that God is sovereign, we believe the Bible is God's word, uh, and those kinds of things, a lot of times we've been influenced by post-enlightenment or enlightenment hermeneutics, hmm. and there's an overemphasis on the human author yeah, and yeah. a downplaying of u- united theme, one divine author. Uh, and so that that's wreaked havoc. It's been a negative because when we read our Protestant confessions, they stress, yes, there are human authors, but they stress a divine author and they stress a divine decree. History's going somewhere. There's a unified message. It allows us to do things like this, to say the Bible is Christ-centered. Its message is redemptive historical. Mm. Um, so we're really glad, Erica, you're asking this question because it affects the way we interpret the Bible today, even right, yeah. in conservative evangelical circles. So yeah. we're going to recommend some resources. Uh, yeah. Dennis Johnson's book called Him We Proclaim is a book. It's actually a book on preaching, but a lot of it has to do with hermeneutics. Right. And uh, I think it's a thick book, and I don't just mean literally, also mm-hmm. figuratively, but it does have, have some really good uh, it has some really good content. I'm going to read a quote from it here that might be helpful. Underlying the Enlightenment's critique of its predecessors, dogmatic and unscientific interpretation, uh, those are things that were considered bad by the Enlightenment, uh, however, lay a more insidious denial of the divine authorship, we were just talking about that, mm. that earlier Christian interpreters had assumed as grounds for expecting, how about this, expecting to discover a single God-given purpose and message. So we get stuff like that in, in Johnson's book that I think you would find helpful. Sure, yeah. I wish there was a distilled down, simplified version. Another book that is related that is also, 
in my humble opinion, in need <laughs> in need of an editor, um, kind of a, a an old school marm kind of mean spirited editor, and that is a book by Graham Goldsworthy called Gospel Centered Hermeneutics. Mm, yeah. I think in essence it's saying the same thing. It's a little more complicated, but it's teaching. It's it's singing out of the same hymn book, if you will. Sure. Yeah. Now you're talking my language. I like that. <laughs> right. Uh, other resources. Matthew Barrett has a book called Canon, Covenant, and Christology. Subtitle is Rethinking Jesus and the Scriptures of Israel. Yep. I also think um, Carter's book, Interpreting Scripture with a Great Great Tradition, Recovering the Genius of Pre-Modern Exegesis is also kind of, kind of saying the same sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. So just one reason our... our Spidey senses really, our pactum senses really have to be <laughs> attuned when it comes to these things is because from people like Walter Kaiser, they're, they're conservative. They're committed to teaching the Bible is God's word. Well, his hermeneutics that he promotes in his commentaries and his books on exegesis and hermeneutics, I think, and Dennis, people like Dennis Johnson would think as well, it reflects more of a naturalistic perspective. Uh, the hermeneutics uh, end up being disjointed, too much emphasis on human author, not enough emphasis on the one divine author with an unfolding drama that does, in fact, focus on redemption yeah. and redemption in Christ. Yeah. So we're not enlightenment haters, but the effects on hermeneutics have been not very positive. I'm thankful that in recent days, people are saying, hey, wait a second. Right. Yeah. Let's get back to the way Christians have been talking all along. The Bible, all of the Bible is a Christian book, yeah. not just the New Testament. The whole thing is, and we should do a whole episode on that sometime. I know we've talked about it now and then. Yep, we have. Yeah. But beware of conservative hermeneutics that actually are not conservative hermeneutics, sure, yeah. even though they're promoted by conservatives. Yeah. So we'll make sure to link to those resources we mentioned in that question and the following questions in our show notes today. Uh, so you can be looking for those links there in case you missed it and didn't have a chance to hit pause and write it down. That's right. I, it's, quick. A, it's a big thing for me. This is one thing that I, I think I was taught enlightenment or post-enlightenment hermeneutics while I was a seminary student. Hmm. But all along, I believe I, I wasn't a liberal. I wasn't taught by liberals. I was taught by conservatives. Sure. Yeah. So I, I do think there's a shift happening. And I think it's something I like to talk to people about and pastors and seminary graduates. In fact, just recently I received somebody reached out to me, a seminary student and said, you know, help me out here. Uh, can you, can you offer some resources? And I was thankful to be able to help. I think if you stop and think about it, oh, the Bible's a Christian book and it's unified in its message, even with all the contours, most Christians are going to go, duh. Yeah. Of course. Of course it is. Until right. you go pay someone a lot of money to teach you otherwise. Right, right, right. Yeah, no kidding. All right, let's move on to our second question here on the Pactum Responsum episode. This question comes from Pat. <laughs> Let, let's say Pat E, or, okay. or is it Pat? I don't know. Sort of like the old skit. <laughs> What a, what a name my parents gave me. Yes. This question is, what are your thoughts on Jesus and John Wayne? That's a book for those who may not have heard of it, Jesus and John Wayne. What it are is. your thoughts on that? Okay, Patty. We like, Patty. Your, we like your question. <laughs> so Jesus and John Wayne, maybe the full title is also helpful to know. It is how white evangelicals corrupted a faith and fractured a nation. Oy. Yeah, by Kristen May, I think is how you say her name. I think so, yeah. Um, so I thought it was an interesting book. 
uh, a lot, you know, she's a historian, as she will tell you many, many, many times over in her lectures. Hmm. She's a historian <laughs> and uh, is writing and offering lots of interesting history. And I found I found it uh, easy to easy to read and intriguing. Um, so there's that. Uh, go ahead and read the book. Check it out. But just know as you're reading the book and she makes interesting ob- observations, um, she does come from a theological leftist perspective of things uh, and would be a feminist hmm. in her perspective of things. So I think she misses the mark from a biblical perspective. So I do think that that, that taints and, and oh, I think it taints her, her perspective and really what she's the, the, the poison that she is sowing. Sure. So yeah. some of the things are right. Some of the things are true. Um, but some of the things are just meant to, I mean, when I listen to her lecture, she seems to hate white men hmm. and uh, that's clear. She's a historian. That's clear. And she has um, no, she's no fan of white men. Gotcha. So yeah. while there is such a thing as toxic masculinity and there's such a thing as bad behavior and bad actors, um, it, it smacks of kind of the, flavor of the day. It just is the cool thing to do to, to hate white men. And I don't think it's very helpful as a white man, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Plus I, a lot of the things she talks about are outside of things that influence me personally. And so, uh, it's, it's a little bit frustrating to read it. It's interesting, but frustrated, hmm. frustrating. Here, here's a, here's a blurb about the book. Indeed, the values and viewpoints at the heart of white evangelicalism today, patriarchy, authoritarian rule, aggressive foreign policy, fear of Islam, ambivalence toward the Me Too, and opposition to Black Lives Matter and LGBTQ community. She forgot the plus or some, hmm. whoever wrote that hmm. uh, are likely to persist long after Trump leaves office. Hmm. So, um, Anyway, it's just it's it's an unsettling book because it's written by somebody who's a feminist um, at Calvin College uh, that is known for feminism and for not upholding classic traditional biblical things any longer as it once did. And so I think it jades the whole thing. And you should just know that I would agree with the editor. The editor said, this is a really depressing book. Hmm. So, so you'd agree. <laughs> I think it's interesting. It's enlightening. It's depressing. Um, but I don't think the problem in evangelicalism uh, would be is white men. Yeah. I think the problem in evangelicalism would be sinners who don't understand the gospel and don't understand the Bible clearly. And uh, we think that somehow we're electing a a pastor in chief or a president in chief or something. Uh, So we'll do an episode sometime on politics and deal with things like that and how to think through political issues. Um, But not else. Not sure what else to say. I guess I'm kind of a Debbie Downer over here, or maybe yeah, I should. Feeling, maybe I should have a, said that because since I said that, I sound like someone who's yeah. Don't be saying that. Kind part of, of the patriarchy, <laughs> <laughs> part of the problem. Now that we're all depressed, D- I'm Dougie. I'm Dougie Downer, Dougie Downer. <laughs> over here. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll move on to another question. Uh, this question comes to us from Dan. Dan is a newer listener to the Pactum, newly reformed as well, and he comes from a dispensational background. And he's looking for some resources, if we might be able to provide him with some, on understanding dispensationalism, maybe the history of it, some of its shortcomings. Uh, do we have any resources we could recommend to Dan and other listeners who might be wondering more about dispensationalism? Dan and other listeners wondering about dispensationalism, welcome to the fellowship. Welcome. We, 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 this is a recovery group. I was going to say, hi, my name uh, is Mike. We have other things <laughs> that we do, but we do have – that is one of the features of the Pactum that we offer. 
So dispensational, dispensationalism uh, is a challenge because there are lots of different kinds. And so oftentimes when someone evaluates or offers some criticism to dispensationalism, the, the, the response back is, well, that's not the kind that I am. I'm sure. not that kind yeah. of dispensationalist, yeah. which is fine because there are variants in different theological systems. Uh, full disclosure, uh, I used to be a dispensationalist. Uh, I love dispensationalists. Mike used to be a dispensationalist. I used to be a dispensationalist, uh, yes. we, we love each other and we love ourselves. And we love other dispensationalists, <laughs> and we have uh, we we have lots of listeners. Uh, a lot of you who are part of the Pactum verse are dispensational in one way or another. Sure, yeah. And so, really, not out to offer hate, um, or you know, we we have fun with it. That's for sure. But one thing that you might look into is episode five that we did. Maybe you already listened to episode five, uh, Dan. Yeah. But it's called Zionism, and I think that might be helpful to kind of understand things. Uh, because when we talk about dispensationalism, if you boil it all down and say, okay, there's the Ryrie kind, there's the Blazing and Bach kind, progressive dispensationalism, there's more classical, there's the John Walvoord kind and the Lewis Berry Chafer kind. I have sure, yeah. all of their books on my shelves and have read, I think, all of them on my shelves. Uh, there's a lot of variance and there's a lot of difference and there's distinction. So maybe one thing that, that they would all have in common, some, some forms are better than others. They all have in common that there is a future for geopolitical religious Israel. Hmm. So you, that's, that's what you have to have that to be a dispensationalist yeah. among other things. Yeah. And so with that, you're going to have a rebuilt temple, and with that, you're going to have animal sacrifices. And now this is where I start being offended. Right, yeah. Because that's offensive to me. Mm -hmm. Because uh, in light of the book of Hebrews, which will ruin your dispensationalism, I think, sure. um, we, we simply cannot. Um, oh, now, let me take that back. There could be a rebuilt temple, uh, and there could be animal sacrifices with priests in the old city, but I don't think that's what God wants. God's not looking to have that happen so that he will be pleased and honored. Mm, yeah. If it happens, it's antichrist, not Christ from where I sit. Sure, and sure. And so it's problematic because we have a once and for all sacrifice. Right, and yeah. that is in Christ. Read the book of Hebrews. You don't go back. You don't go back to distinguishing between um, Jews and Gentiles and all that. That's in, that's in episode five. Yeah. So that's where it's... Um, it's a big problem. Now, I realize they're going to say, well, those sacrifices that we're going to have in the future in the millennial temple, uh, they don't, that they're just memorial sacrifices, yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of like communion. And the problem with that is the Bible doesn't actually say that. So in Ezekiel, where it talks about a temple, it says makes atonement. So if those are the proof texts, and they are for dispensationalists, I'm going to understand them differently. We're going to understand them differently. Um, dispensationalists get more than they bargain for because it says make atonement. And we think that's blasphemous sure. yep. in light of the book of Hebrews. So I think Hebrews is going to help you understand what's true and right. It's not going to help you to understand dispensationalism, but what will help you to understand the system is there is this undying, unwavering commitment to a future for national geopolitical, in other words, religious Israel. And it has to be, and we're, we're saying we, we don't think that that, that is actually the case. We think that, for example, Hosea 11.1 1, uh, has Israel as God's son, and he calls his son out of Egypt. Matthew 2.15 has Jesus as God's son, calls right. him out of Egypt. Yeah. So we have the lesser son, we have the typological son, uh, and we have the ultimate son, the fulfillment, the antitype. And we don't go backward. We don't do regressive revelation. We have progressive revelation. 
And so that might help you as well. Uh, you can pick up book, books like Vern Poitras's book on dispensationalism. You can pick up all of the different critique books. There's a recent uh, maybe Four Views book that just came out. I know Michael Horton contributes the chapter on covenant theology. I don't remember who contributes to dispen- the dispensational chapter. That might be helpful. But it's a, it seems like the, 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 ball, uh, the, the target keeps shifting. It keeps moving. Sure. And so it kind of depends on who you're speaking with. Uh, as far as understanding it is concerned. Yeah. Maybe one more thing, and that would be some historical research about uh, John Nelson Darby is also enlightening, just to understand him a little bit better as far as the one who is referred to oftentimes as the father of dispensationalism. Uh, it might be helpful to know a little bit more about him. I would like to actually do an episode on that whole factor some, sure. sometime, yeah. but it's going to sound like a Dougie Downer. It'll be a Dougie Downer I'm episode. A, I'm, I'm afraid. <laughs> so e- even the brethren uh, didn't want to associate with so much of what he was promoting because it was so kind of wild-eyed and crazy. Hmm. Interesting. All right. So next question we've got is from Trevor. Trevor asks uh, that he has always had some friends from the Presbyterian camp view the Westminster Confession of Faith as a superior confession as opposed to, say, the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. And he is curious as to what our thoughts are okay. on the confessions, whether Westminster is superior to the 1689 or the same as the 1689 superior. What are our thoughts well, on that? I wonder where Trevor's coming from. So is, yeah. is he the 1689 guy or is he the... We don't, I don't we, know. We don't know. We don't know. <laughs> He leaves. We don't know. Okay. Well, what we would say in response is we we actually like both, uh, and we quote both of them on the pact. We do quote both, yes. Yep. And maybe what we would just encourage you with, uh, Trevor, is just just don't be a freak about it. (laughs) (laughs) We're pretty sure that you're not. uh, But hopefully what we model here on the pactum, among other things, is uh, the acknowledgement that we sure are glad that we are both in agreement regarding the solas, and we are both in agreement when it comes to the uh, obedience of Christ, active and passive, and all, all of the things that make up justification and salvation and redemption and all of those super important things. Yes. Yeah. So keep that in mind. They actually are, are both great documents and reflect rich and wonderful heritages, if that's the right way to say it. Yeah. But you will see some differences. We do see in the second uh, London Confession, there's something more explicit and deliberate regarding things like the act of obedience of Christ. Sure, yep. Although it's not like the Westminster Confession denies, but they're just it's, it's not quite as refined and not quite as pointed for various reasons we won't get into now. Uh, the 1689 Confession reflects uh, not only the Westminster Confession, so they're working hard to make it similar, but it also reflects a little bit more water under the bridge with the Savoy Declaration hmm. from Congregationalism. Yep. Uh, and also, and therefore, because there's overlap, uh, probably the insights and uh, insights of John Owen. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I, of course, I think the 1689 is stronger there, uh, but both are good. Both are helpful. Consult both of them. And uh, like we said... Uh, don't be a freak. Don't be a freak. It's so, okay. It's Desert okay. Island, you have to choose which one you're taking with you. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Take well, since one has to do, would offer more insights into deep water Ooh. because it's baptistic. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd be looking to get off the desert island. There you island. go. That's or maybe, maybe there won't be enough water because yeah. it's desert. And so you're going to go for more of the sprinkling. Possible. And you go for the, the Westminster Confession. Be either or. <laughs> We're stuck in the middle. 
<laughs> I like to actually read books on both of them. And yeah. uh, I, I actually find it kind of amusing, uh, the, the warring that goes on between the two camps. Sure, yeah. Not that there isn't a place for that. Um, but I, anyway, I just am too busy with too many other things yeah, to yeah. actually to, to make, fight over that, make that know? my thing right, yeah. uh, in life. So Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, this next question, this, this one's going to get deep, I think. Okay. Um, all right. So this one comes to us from Abby. Uh, Abby asks or says, uh, I identify as a five-point I got Calvinist. nervous there for a well, second, Abby, what, what you were going to do. <laughs> I identify as a five-point Calvinist when it comes to theology. But my coffee tastes... Oh, no, Abby. Oh, what are you going to do good. here There's to the, us? But my coffee tastes run more... Semi Pelagian. What? What an admission! And then she says, "Any chance the Pactum would sell a semi heretical roast?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she uses semi Pelagians. She uses chance, oh, and she says five boy. point Calvinist it's in the same sentence. Scandal! And, oh my goodness! Well, Abby, we're thankful that you're a part of the Pactum verse. Yes, and we're thank we we love you, Abby, yep. and uh, we think Jesus does too. Yes, so. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully that helps. I do know Abby. We know Abby and her husband and family and their dear friends. And uh, I know she actually has some pretty sophisticated taste buds when it comes to coffee, or at least that's a rumor on the street. I didn't know that about her. Yeah, I think so. So okay. all of that to say, we we do have coffee, but here's the thing. Uh, Pactum verse. We're not looking to start a coffee company. No, we're not. <laughs> it's more for fun. It's more because we have a, a good friend who's part of the Pactum verse, who's an executive at a coffee company. And he said, Hey, I can hook you up. I can help you, and it'll be a fun little marketing thing. Yeah. And uh, he basically matched the the kind of bean that we love, or that I do at least, and uh, the roasted it the way we wanted it roasted, and we are having a good time with, with the Tenebras dark roast. Yes. And uh, I think Abby did tell me though that she was afraid to give some of her family members a bag of beans because oh, really? it, it might have been a little offensive. The packaging. Some yep. of the packaging might be a little bit on the snarky <laughs> side. <laughs> And uh, I said, really? And she said, yeah, really. <laughs> so, but just know that according to uh, the Pactum Dark Roast, uh, you can brew this Pactum offering for the sake of the elect and you will never be left behind. <laughs> you heard it here on the Pactum. You heard it here. So we may we may have some other blends. It's possible uh, along for the, way, the future here. Or yeah. maybe some single origin. But uh, I think what Abby's saying is she doesn't, she, she uh, she doctors up her coffee a little bit. I think she might add something to it. Oh, really? Well, maybe. I don't know. I have a like whole, some syrup. I have and... a whole theology of coffee, and we'll maybe do an episode. Maybe on do that an someday. episode on the theology of coffee. We could do that. I do. You know, it is December almost in my coffee mind. Oh, you're going to bust I've, out the peppermint? I've moved on. So the whole pumpkin spice thing. Yep. I'll do that during the month of October. But as soon as we get past Halloween, my mind shifts December peppermint mochas. So I'm already there. Have for you, those have you had there. one? At least one? Oh, I have them all year, year round. <laughs> people don't, I don't think people know this, but you can get peppermint mochas year round, folks. It's true. Oh, no. People on our street had their Christmas lights up this morning when I left at 530. On the house? On the house lit up. Oh, now that's something. We have our tree up. You Stop. Yeah. It's okay, folks. It is no, November no, 8th. No, 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 And our no, tree no, is up no. in my living room. Oh, happy Saturnalia. Bunch of pagans <laughs> over at the Grimes house. 
We put it up. Oh yeah, we put it up last. You weekend. know, it's all this talk and all about the the gear and the beans. That's I, snow I'm, I'm going to shake the snow we globe. We haven't shaken the snow globe just for to kind a long of feel time. the love. Okay. Whenever well, people visit our studio, they come in. That's and they, the thing. They right? like to touch it and they like to take a secret picture. But you I, know, Sunday mornings I come into my office and I wonder how many tickets have we sold to the studio today. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. We've gone way off track here. We okay. Have. So, hey, for those of you who want to check out those uh, coffee beans, the Tenebrous Dark Blend, you can get that at thepactum.org. It All right. is true. Next question from Jedediah. Cool he, name, by the way. Yes, very cool. Uh, Jedediah asks, I've heard Acts 2.42 used in teaching on the ordinary means of grace, and it is one I use when referring to this with others. In that list, it speaks of, quote, the fellowship. In your episode, that was not mentioned. When we did an episode on ordinary means is what he's getting at. Okay. Um, we didn't mention that. Uh, would the fellowship or gathering be considered an ordinary means of grace? Okay. I thought he was going to talk about the fellowship of the rings. No, not the fellowship of the rings. <laughs> okay. I made me twist my wedding ring, just kind of warming up and thinking right. about it. Maybe for context here, I'll read Acts 2.42. That would so, be good. Uh, our listeners can hear that. Acts 2.42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So, the so, fellowship. Well, means. you know what, Jedediah, since you already told us that you think that that's how you use that verse, I mean, we're just here to affirm. <laughs> we're just here to affirm you and your views. So, of course, yeah, right on, brother. <laughs> okay, Kid, kidding aside, uh, I, I think actually it would be included or implied, uh, the fellowship that is, when we talked about in the ordinary means, when we have uh, the right preaching of the Word of God and sure, the right yeah. administration of the sacraments, uh, ordinary means of grace kinds of things, well, you, you don't have the preaching of the Word of God and the administration of the sacraments unless you're together as right, the fellowship, yeah, so the corporate gathering. So I think that's what you mean by it. And if so, um, we're saying yes. There's a little bit of debate and discussion about Acts 2.42 and whether or not that is what's in view there. And uh, I wouldn't split hairs over it either way. Is that is that the formal, the breaking of bread as in communion? Uh, is it something else? Um, wouldn't die on that hill, but theologically, we are with you. Pa yeah. you packed them approval. You, you, you get, the, you get the special stamp. Uh, and we're thankful for the question, Jedediah. If you've not thought through, not you, Jedediah, but others, the, the whole issue of the ordinary means of grace and what right. really ma makes those extraordinary yeah. and how, how important it is to focus on the basics, uh, we would recommend that you find that episode because I don't know what the number <laughs> is. There's, it's, and it's getting hard to flip through and find it as we're talking. And There's, some platforms don't offer the numbering. So that gets all the more confusing. Oh, man. All right. Next question comes to us from Brad. And uh, Brad asks very simply, female deacons, yes or no? Why? I like the simplicity of the simplicity. your format. I'm trying I, to remember. This one might not even have had a message content just in the subject line. Female deacons, yes or no? Why? Okay. Well, we, uh, this is simple and confusing all at the same time because I, I don't want to like throw rocks at churches and pastors. So sure. Yeah. We yeah, want yeah. you to love your church and love your pastors. Uh, assume the best. So it, it may may depending may depend on where you're coming from, what kind of uh -huh. setting you're in. Right. So let's start by saying, okay, female deacons, yes, no, why? So if if the leadership office or offices, if you will, or officers uh, at your church, depending on what kind of church you're a part of, um, if it's a formal office of leadership of shepherding of pastoring, uh, 
then then we would say no. Correct. Uh, yeah, so right. the, the more formal that is in leading and leading men and women, we would say no because yep. it's a violation violation of First Timothy chapter two. So there's that way of answering it. But also, um, in, in addition, some churches basically have deacons and they function as elders. Mm-hmm. So it's common in, I won't even say what kind of churches, but there are lots of churches that are Bible believing where the senior pastor is like the only elder and then the deacons function, the deacon board, they function as we would think more along the lines of elders. Then we would say, no, you shouldn't have female deacons. Right. But with that said, sometimes uh, there are churches that are clearly f- seeking to follow First Timothy chapter 2, and you have uh, male pastors, and they're the leaders, the elders, the overseers, the bishops, if you're a King James reader, and, and that's very clear. And then you have people who come alongside of them and serve and lead in serving, and you have men and women, and the women can lead women's ministries, and we're going to call them deaconesses. That's a totally different yeah. It's a different animal. Right. Yeah. And so it kind of depends on who you're speaking with. And I think sometimes we we can we can talk about what's right and what's wrong, but just be cautious given different settings. Sure. Yes. So yeah. I can think of great Bible minded churches that have deaconesses because they're they're functioning in a certain way. Right. And then other churches, if they had deaconesses, actually it's going to be unbiblical. Yeah. Not just over word studies, right, right, but because of their their actual the way they're functioning. Yeah, what role are they filling? Yeah, so it kind of depends. Yeah. I th- the only time I think I've ever preached a sermon in I don't know however many years, maybe about roughly thirty years, where I've given a handout f- tied to a sermon, and I I couldn't even bring myself to do it. Oh, for real, I, I had a, handouts available after the service, just because it goes against everything in my being <laughs> to do handouts. Um, Fill in the blank. <laughs> I, well, I'm not trying to hate, but I'm trying to be interesting enough where you don't I I, I don't need any crutch. So right, right. If you preach with handouts, may the Lord bless you. <laughs> So, but having said that, I, I gave a chart like pros and cons regarding deacon, deacon. deaconess. Is oh, it the yeah. wife of a deacon or is it an actual person and how the words used differently in different places? And it's, it's interesting. Uh, I used to have a seminary professor who was a sweet, um, godly man. And he would say, sometimes you have to pay your money and take a your view. <laughs> and it was his way of not being postmodern. It was his sure. way of saying, sometimes it's a, it's a, it's a tough call. Yeah. So yeah. with that in mind, um, it's a tough call. Or, or dodging the bullet. I don't think we, I don't think, I don't think deaconesses as an office of the church uh, is biblical. And that's where I would come down on it. But again, if you, I, but I could pastor a church that did it provided they, they had them function a certain way Sure, yeah. and I would be okay with that. So yeah. a little bit of flexibility there. Uh, having said that functionally uh, at the church where uh, I pastor and where Mike and I both are, um, we have women who lead women's ministries and they do so wonderfully and effectively. And in some churches they would be called deaconesses Yes, yep. and some of our women, they deke wonderfully. Yes, they do. Yeah. Uh, and some of the men deke wonderfully. So yep. Yep. they're model servants. And so be cautious with just how you, uh, are, how aggressive you are with explaining it, I guess, sure. or implementing it. Yep. All right. Next question. We have a couple questions left, I believe, here on this episode of the Pactum Responsum. I'm checking myself. Is it a couple? It is a couple. You need to check your privilege, buddy. I check my privilege. It's a couple questions. This one okay. comes from Luke, and this one has to do with reading. Uh, Luke says that he struggles a lot with reading and explaining, understanding what he's reading and learning. 
Uh, he's not a new Christian, uh, but he's just wondering if we have any tips that might help him with reading, understanding what he's reading, and then being able to maybe even share that with others. Okay. That's helpful. Yeah. So, well, it's a helpful, helpful question, actually. Yeah. And so I don't think I read an entire book other than a children's book uh, (laughs) throughout all of middle school and high school. And then I had to read in college because I couldn't cheat my way through college because I might get expelled. (laughs) Full confession. And it's like I had to relearn how to learn and how to read. Yeah. And so there's hope. If there's hope for me, there's hope. There's there's hope hope for for all of us. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Reading is a skill, though, right? It's a skill. I think so. I read with uh, a pen in my hand all of the time. So Mm. I'm circling things, underlining things, writing questions. So that might be helpful, Luke. Uh, What's the main idea? So what's the main idea of this chapter? What's the main idea of the book? Can I write it down in one sentence? Mm, Yeah. That would be helpful. Um, Read, for example, a book by John Fesco, like Adam and the Covenant of Works, and he will really, really help you. It's like a he, he's it's like a cheat sheet hmm. because he's really good about telling you what he's going to tell you, and then he tells you, and then he summarizes and tells you what he told you. Yes, yeah. And it, I mean, embarrassingly so. It's yeah. so deliberate and yeah. so explicit. But I, I would that might be a really good place for you to start if you're having and you say you're having a hard time remembering these things uh luke it it will help you a ton yeah yeah. so there will be that um sometimes when we have interns we have them summarize whole books in you know one page uh what did you come away with i think it'd be better to do it in one paragraph or one sentence sure simplicity is is hard simplicity is is underrated not overrated yeah and so how can we make things simple Another thing that might be helpful to you would be to listen to the author. Yeah. And so if you're reading The Whole Christ, I think I see in the note, the question, you read The Whole Christ by Sinclair Ferguson. Uh, you know, listen to Sinclair talk about that same topic in lectures and sermons. Mm, yeah. yep, yep. And if you do that, you're going to say, I, I understand better. Yes, and I agree with that completely. Yep. So this morning I had to do, do a discussion or lead a discussion slash lecture on romanticism. And it was from a chapter in a Carl Truman book and dealing with romanticism. So I, I've listened to him lecture on it a bunch. I also listened to a bunch of other lectures on romanticism sure. and their influence and effects. I bet I listened to one podcast lecture on romanticism about 10 times. Wow. So I, I'm just trying to show empathy or yeah. to say it's not easy, but repetition helps. Listening helps. You're doing yard work. You're driving down the road and it's going to help you to become uh, a better reader of theological books and, sure. and and to sharpen your skill to be able to say, this is what this is about. One yeah. more thing I'll say yeah. about it. And the final thing would be, if you have to teach it to someone else and explain it to someone else, it's going to help you. Yeah. Yep. All right. I have to sit down with someone and say, here's what I learned in this book. Uh, here's what the whole book is about. It forces you to be a clearer, a better reader, a clearer communicator. And so put yourself in a position like that yeah. if you dare. Yeah, I think it's helpful. I've heard you say before that very thing. If if you can teach it to your kids or if you can teach it to a child, you know, you could teach it to anybody. Yep. And so I do that frequently when I'm reading. I'm thinking through, I'm like, what in the world? Because I struggle with reading sometimes too. I, maybe it's the musician in me. I don't know. I want to sing the, the, the words. I don't know. But sometimes when I struggle through it, I think through, I've got to go explain this to my kid. 
do I understand? No, I'm going to give it another go. I think I've got it. You know, and sometimes I'll try it out. I'll explain it to and them. It go, like, and it goes badly. What are you even talking about? I tried to do right? that last night with my wife when I was trying to romance my – no, wait. When I was trying to talk to my <laughs> wife about romanticism, <laughs> it wasn't very romantic. Yeah. yeah. That's boring, Pat. That's funny. Yeah. Oh. It, but that is a really helpful way to approach reading, I think, too. Yeah. Yep. Faux show. Let's do one more, Mike. Okay. Let's wrap it up. One more last question. Because that, that sola chica – is 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 cold. <laughs> it's been sitting there a long it's, time. It's, I'm not going to eat it. Are you going to eat it? No. All right. <laughs> Looks like fish bait. Salmonella, maybe by now. Don't knock the Chick Fil A chicken nugget. Fish bait. That's no. For by now, it's been okay, sitting okay. there for well, so yeah, long. Okay. That's all. I'm, okay. My Ozzy. I almost got offended. Ozzy would eat it. Would your dog eat it? Oh, yeah. And then for sure, my dog would like throw it up all over yeah. afterwards. Yeah, Curtis would definitely <laughs> do the same. <laughs> all right. So last question comes to us from Sophia. And Sophia is asking about when we talked about biblicists, and we've talked about biblicists numerous times, uh, or shall I say several times on the Pactum. True. And uh, we've referred to biblicism as potentially even being heretical um, or heresy or not good. Um, So she's looking for some clarity. Uh, Sophia is on biblicism and uh, whether we say that's heresy, bad, wrong, Kind okay. of a little clarity good, on good. the situation yep. with biblicism. I'm already over here shaking my head on the Pactum sofa um, because I, we, we, what we don't want to do is say, oh, yeah, biblicism, everyone who says that is a heretic. We're, we're not, that's not our yeah. intent. Not a blanket statement. Sophia, um, one thing that might be helpful is to go back and listen to the episode after we have this little conversation here. Sure. Because we do have an episode on biblicism. Yep. So let's think in these terms. Um, Biblicism is a label that's used sometimes uh, by, let's say, unbelievers, and they use it against people like us who believe the Bible is true. So there's that kind of biblicism. We would welcome that. Yes, indeed, we take the Bible seriously. We think it's God's word. We're biblicists. But there's also another way in which it is used, and uh, it's used sometimes regarding people who are um, ah-confessional, people who don't like Protestant confessions or confessions, and they don't like theological categories. They don't like labels, or maybe they don't like being pushed toward consistency. Hmm. And so they say they're biblicists, and sometimes it's a cop-out. They don't want to be held accountable by, let's say, historical norms or standards or things that have been settled by church Mm, councils. And so they'll say, well, you know what? Yeah, I I don't know about that, but I'm a biblicist. I just believe the Bible is true. Hmm. And what we would want to say to that would be oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes people who teach heresy, things that are not true about, let's say, the person and work of Christ, uh, they'll say, they'll cite a bunch of Bible verses, but when you say, what do you mean, what do you think those verses mean by what they say? They say something that's actually heretical. Yeah, yeah. And so, but they claim to be biblicists. Yes, yeah. So what we want to say is, no, we want to be biblical, but we also want to be able to write down what we think the Bible means by what it says, and those are written down in things like confessions. Um, and so that's really what we're getting at here. So uh, evangelicals, I notice in your question here, we don't think evangelicals are, are heretics. We are evangelicals right, in yeah, the old yep. classic sense. Yes. We believe the good news of salvation in Christ, the evangel, uh, and Jesus is the good one who brings salvation. So we are evangelical, but oftentimes in evangelicalism, 
where people seem to have an allergy, as R.C. Sproul would say, an allergy to things like history, um, creeds and confessions. Uh, they end, Oftentimes, people teach heresy even though they didn't mean to because they're not informed by things like creeds and confessions. Sure, yeah. So that's why things have been said about Jesus, that he's um, very God of very God, begotten, not made, and, and things like that. They're, those things were said on purpose to be mm-hmm. very clear and to make it clear that Jesus is divine and he's not less divine uh, than the Father is, for example. Hmm. So we, we, we don't – and this gets more confusing because um, even though biblicism is oftentimes in academia seen as bad, it's like a cop-out, um, now people have started using it again. Yes, yeah. And now it's this badge of honor because, oh, I'm a biblicist, and it's, it's not very helpful. It's leading to a lot of confusion. Uh, unfortunately, but that's kind of how things go. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know what else to say other than that. Um, that would, might be helpful. Just think in terms of let's it, let's not try to reinvent the wheel. We like to say on the pactum because when you try to reinvent the wheel, yes, you'll use Bible verses, but it's probably going to be square. Hmm. So when we read old confessions and they say uh, that God doesn't have passions, yeah, yeah. That that's like a red flag to us if we're not um, used to reading confessions. Sure. We say, well, yes. I, I think God does have passions yeah. because I, He's angry and yes. He's yeah. He's happy and well, l- maybe it would be a good idea to dig in a little bit and say, what did what did theologians mean what when they, they said yeah. He didn't have passions and uh, could it mean and have huge implications like oh God changing? Yes. Sometimes yeah. He's happy and sometimes He's angry and we, when is He better? When He's happier? Mm-hmm. When He's sure. angry? Yeah. Yeah. And it, ideas have consequences, yes. and so we're, we want to say let's not get ri- let's not get rid of history, things like creeds and confessions, and let's be really slow to say oh they're not biblical. Yeah, I'm, that's that's what we're getting at, and Matthew Barrett was getting at in the episode you referred to in your question. Uh, we were talking about those kinds of things, things that we do think are heresy, like the eternal functional subordination of the son. We think those things are heresy. They're hot topics today. And uh, because it lessens the son. Yeah. Um, because yeah. we're not talking about Christ humbling himself in the incarnation if we're promoting things like the eternal functional subordination of the son, which we're not promoting, but some do, uh, they're saying no, in his very essence, even before the incarnation, he's humbling himself. And classically, that's just not how Christians have spoken. Yeah. Uh, And we do think those kinds of things are borderline heresy, if not heresy. Yep. Yep. I hope that helps. Um, it would help the church. And I, we're seeing some good progress here. Mm -hmm. If there would be a good recovery of history and historical theology, yep. things like creeds and confessions, not to be superior to the Bible, not to take over or to be equal with the Bible, but what they've done is they've had that what they've done is they've represented people's understanding of what the Bible means by what it says, and then there's been consensus after debate, and maybe we should be slow to say all of those people who came before us didn't know what they're talking about. I just need me and my Bible. Right. Yep. Yep. So we want to return to confessional Christianity, uh, which is um, very popular and has a great um, pedigree up until five minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's try to stop putting things in our own words and being creative. Right. Uh, because oftentimes that's what 
heretics have done yep. in history. Yep. That's, that's what we're saying. We hope that helps. We hope uh, hang in there, stick with it, keep learning, keep reading, uh, examine everything in light of Scripture. Uh, it, and it alone is God's inspired, inerrant revelation, special revelation, uh, but maybe we should pay attention to how the Holy Spirit has worked in the lives of other people and yep. their understanding yep. of the Scripture before we showed up. Yep, yep. Well, that wraps it up for this Pactum Responsum episode. We are going to post in the show notes some links to some of those resources that we've mentioned throughout the episode. So you can go there, check that out, and get links to those resources. We want to thank you all for being a part of the Pactum verse. If we and, didn't get to your question, yes, you're not alone. Yes, there are there many are more many, questions many, many, we're many going to get to, and maybe the next episode will be on that as well. We'll have to get some more uh, sola chicas. <laughs> <laughs> and if you do have questions you'd like to have answered on the Pactum Responsum, you can can send those to us at connect at thepactum.org. And as always, you can find us online on Instagram, on Twitter. Thanks for being a part of the Pactumverse. We'll see you here next time on The Pactum. <laughs>